morning to you all. Okay, thank you, Dan. Thank you, worship team. Uh, indeed, this is the season of Thanksgiving, and just want to say again that um, for all of you who are part of Coast and all of you who serve this body in various ways, formally and informally, thank you so much for doing so. Um, there's no doubt that God uses each of us in various ways to encourage, support, bless, serve, and um, I'm very thankful, we're very thankful for each of you. So if you would turn to Luke 17, and we want to try to focus on Thanksgiving this morning as we typically do at this time, and to find some encouragement to be surprisingly thankful uh, in light of what we find in Luke chapter 17. The reason why I say surprisingly thankful is that based on what the Word of God tells us, Gratitude and thanksgiving, true gratitude and thanksgiving is less common than we might imagine, uh, even when there's a lot of thank yous going around. And so hopefully we'll see why I would say that from this passage. Um, Another reason why we need the encouragement to be thankful is because of how it's related to love. Now we know that the gospel tells us that, that God is good, he created us to be holy and to be happy, Uh, But we've rebelled, and therefore we deserve a just punishment. Really, all that we deserve is God's punishment. And yet, the world is filled with good things. And the greatest gift of all that God has given us is His Son, to save us from our sin and restore us to God. And He calls us to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, and then to live our lives pursuing love. And one of the things we may not think a lot about is the reality is being thankful is loving. Uh, Jesus said that everything that God has told us to do in the uh, law, in the commandments, is ultimately an expression of love to God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love to neighbor as ourselves. So when the Bible says, be thankful, it's actually commanding love to God and love to others. And so being thankful is a love issue. And the gospel is very much about enabling us to love like God loves and like he calls us to love. And so we should always be concerned about any failure to love, right? And sometimes I think um, it's easy to minimize Thanksgiving and the importance of Thanksgiving. And I hope that through our time together in the Word today, all of us, myself included, will be encouraged to see just how important being thankful really is. So I'd like to read for us uh, Luke 17, uh, the whole chapter, and then we'll just touch on some things with the time that we have left this morning. In verse 1, speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says, He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, 
if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling. They were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. In some accounts, verse 36, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered.
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that this is your word, and it is true, and it is right, and it is good. And we need to trust your word. We need to believe your word. And we pray that you'd help us to do so this morning. And that you, we ask that you would apply it to our hearts and lives by the work of your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I'd like to highlight, as I mentioned earlier, is that the issue of gratitude is a really significant issue. Uh, there's a story about a Polish man who actually worked on the railroad. And he was struck by a train. And he went into a coma for 19 years. And so when he went into the coma in 1988 in Poland, uh, it was a communist country. And things were really difficult. And there wasn't much that you could find in the shops, in the grocery stores and things like that. He woke up out of his coma after 19 years in 2007. And when he woke up, it, was, it wasn't a communist com- country anymore. It had incredible freedom compared to what it had before. And the shops were filled with all kinds of things. And his comment was this. He noticed two things. He said, uh, people on the streets with cell phones, and there are so many goods in the shops, it makes my head spin. But what amazes me is all these people who walk around with their mobile phones, and yet they never stop moaning. And so he said... There are two things that I really noticed after I woke up after 19 years is that our blessings at this point were so much greater than what they were when I went into my coma. But I found that people were complaining all the time about life and about things. And they did not seem to appreciate the freedom that they now enjoyed and the things that they had been given. And so the reality is the habit of being grateful is relatively uncommon for a number of different reasons. And we may ask ourselves, um, do we find ourselves bothered when people don't say thank you? If we do something for someone and they don't say thank you, does that kind of bother us? Do you think it bothers God if we don't? say thank you. If you don't have a heart of gratitude to God, why or why not? Obviously, our Thanksgiving traditions go all the way back to the pilgrims, and most of us know the story of the pilgrims, how the first year they were here, things were very difficult, uh, the lack of food and shelter and and all those kinds of things, and almost 50% of them died before the first Thanksgiving, and yet they held the first Thanksgiving to thank God for his kindnesses and his goodness to them, even though they had had it really difficult, they were still able to see the good things that they did have and trace those back to God. Uh, R.C. Sproul, who's now in heaven, talked about loving Thanksgiving tradition and how it's a great opportunity for us to take a day in the year to actually thank God for his providence. Thank God for all the good things that we've enjoyed over this past year. And yet he noted that in our own country, we've kind of moved away from Thanksgiving to talking about it in other ways like Turkey Day and maybe even just uh, kind of running right over it. We're just going to go right into Christmas and not even think so much about Thanksgiving. And he made this comment. He said, 
The idea that this is a moment to express profound and deep gratitude to the providence of God for a year's worth of tender mercies and for his care, comfort, and governance of our lives has been largely forgotten. And so as a country, we've moved away from the idea that we need to give thanks to God for his tender mercies and his comfort and his care and his goodness to us over the last year. And he says in this article that I read that really that is the human condition and and its fallen condition. We are reluctant to show gratitude to God. And he talks about our deep roots of reluctance to show gratitude to God. And that's what I'd like to talk about today in light of Luke 17 is to think a little bit about what are the deep roots of our ingratitude? Why, why do we, even as believers, um, oftentimes fail to show the gratitude to God that we should show? Because we are still sinners. We still have the flesh, and we still have to battle the flesh. And a huge part of our fleshly sinful nature is an ungrateful nature to God. And so being reminded of the importance of gratitude and celebrating Thanksgiving in the right way brings glory to God and is actually an act of love to God and an act of love to man as well. And so uh, let me just highlight three things. I'm going to highlight a tracing problem um, where our gratitude is ultimately uh, uh, misdirected, reflected in the idea that the good things I enjoy must come from me in some sense. Secondly, there's a merit problem where our our gratitude is undermined by our own pride. And we might express that in in terms of the good things I enjoy must say something about me. And then thirdly, there's a translation problem. Our gratitude gets lost in translation, so to speak. Um, saying thank you is the least I can do, and I'm always looking for the least I can do. That's actually a um, uh, funny saying that we have around our house. We'll say, oh, that's the least I can do, and I'm always looking for the least I can do. So uh, we want to think about that in terms of Thanksgiving and how Luke 17 helps us to think about these things that we might grow in our love for God, that we might also grow in love for each other. So the first thing is I want to direct your attention to the story in the middle of the chapter. Um, I've chosen to preach on the whole chapter, not just about the ten lepers, because I want us to think about what it says about the ten lepers in that story, but think about what it says before the story and after the story. And so I want to look at the story in verses 11 through 19 first, which is a very familiar story. And I want us to ask the question, where are the good things I'm receiving coming from? And the story that we're very familiar with is Jesus is um, walking into a village. There are ten leprous men, some kind of terrible skin condition that threatened their health uh, in all kinds of ways and obviously caused them to be cut off from normal interactions with people. And so even Jews and Samaritans would live together when that would never happen if they were healthy. But being lepers, they would live together because uh, being desperate to just be around anybody they could be around, they would even get together, Jews would even get together with uh, Samaritans. So you've got this mixed group of Jews and Samaritans that are lepers, 
and they see Jesus. They've obviously heard about Jesus somehow, and they begin calling on Jesus for healing. They say, um, have mercy on us. They're calling for healing. That's what they mean. Mercy means relieve us of our suffering. And our suffering is this leprosy, which is very evident uh, that you can see. And so Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll do it. He says, do this. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. Because someone who's been healed of leprosy, the first thing they were supposed to do in Israel was to go to the priest, and the priest was to check them out and give them a stamp of good health. And say, now uh, you need to offer these sacrifices, and you need to uh, bathe and do different things, and then you can re-enter into normal social life. So it was a way of confirming God's healing and allowing them back into uh, Jewish society. Well, the ten of them head off. Uh, They had enough faith to go to the priest, and they're healed on the way, but only one of them returns. And it says, he turned back glorifying God and giving thanks to Jesus. And Jesus asked the question in verse 18, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So, It says this one leper who was a Samaritan, you might call him the Grateful Samaritan. We've heard of the Good Samaritan, and this is the Grateful Samaritan. And he gives thanks to God, gives thanks to Jesus. In that giving thanks, he glorifies God. He honors God. He shines the light on God. And the Lord Jesus tells him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well, which means his His giving thanks and his glorifying God was ultimately an expression of his faith, that it was rooted in belief in the truth. And so when you think about uh, what he did, he was expressing a faith that resulted in giving thanks that brought glory to God, which means my gratitude issue is a faith issue. The reason why I don't love God as I should through giving glory to him and gratitude to him is because there's something wrong in what I'm believing or not believing. Uh, there's, there's a weakness in my faith. I'm not seeing things as I should. Well, one of the interesting things is obviously we, just like I began this morning, I said thank you to you for your service in this body. Um, that's an appropriate thing to do. It's appropriate to thank people for what they do. But there's a right way, you could say, or, or an adequate way or an inadequate way to do that. If, if when I thank someone, I'm only thanking someone, I'm not really thanking them appropriately. I should thank them as instruments of God. I mean, ultimately, I should thank them, yes, but I'm not focusing on them as the ultimate source of whatever I'm thanking them for. I'm thanking them as instruments. Now, we don't know what the the leper who was healed really thought about Jesus at this point. We don't know that he saw him as God or saw him as the Messiah. The Bible doesn't tell us enough about what he understood at that point. But we know he was glorifying God and he gave thanks to Jesus. And so that's really a model for all of our thanksgiving is when 
we say thank you to people, we should be at the same time saying thank you to God. Which means we need to be careful of um, careful to trace everything back to God. That's the point, ultimately, is that one out of ten did this. Nine out of ten didn't. Now, you might say, well, didn't they show faith? Didn't they have faith because they were healed? Yeah, they must have had some kind of faith. They had faith enough to go to the priest when Jesus told them to, but they didn't have faith enough to turn back and thank Jesus and give glory to God for their healing. And so there must have been some sense in which they uh, did not make the appropriate connections. In some sense, they must have thought that whatever was happening, happening to them was really about them. The good things I enjoy must come from me in that sense because it did not move them to go back to Jesus. And as far as we know, it didn't move them to give glory to God. And so there was a a disconnect there. And if there's a disconnect, then it kind of focuses on me. That whatever good I'm enjoying is kind of must be traced back to me somehow if it's not being traced back ultimately to God. There are those who've talked about uh, that that dynamic in various ways. Um, George MacDonald says, The careless soul receives the Father's gifts as if it were a way that things had of dropping into his hand. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the nine lepers got going along and boom, healing drops into their hands and they just keep going. They don't acknowledge that it came from above when James says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting Shadow. I've mentioned the story before of C.S. Lewis in the tool shed, where it's very dark and the, the beam of light is coming uh, through the crack above the door, and he looks at the sunbeam, he can see dust particles floating in the sunbeam, then he moves around to where he can look straight along the sunbeam, and he looks tr- up through that crack and he sees, sees uh, leaves waving on the tree, and he sees the sun. And so what he does is he traces the sunbeam back to the sun. And that's exactly what all the good things in our lives are supposed to do. They're sunbeams. They're not simply to be looked at on the side, but we're to look at them in such a way that we trace them all all the way back to the sun, S-O-N, to the Lord Jesus. Practically, uh, there's a verse in um, Psalm 100 that comes to my mind every time I pray it says enter his gates with thanksgiving and its courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name enter his gates with thanksgiving I apply that by at the very beginning of my prayer time I try to think of all the things uh, that I regularly enjoy or that I have recently enjoyed that I can thank God for at that time obviously I don't thank him for every possible thing I'd be there all day long. I'd never get up. But uh, the Bible encourages us to be in the habit of tracing things back to God. And our prayer time ought to be filled with that kind of tracing where we take the time to think about 
the blessings of the day before, the blessings of the day, if it's at the end of the day, and to trace them back to God. Uh, the blessings that we enjoy every day, trace them back to God. If we don't have that habit, we're going to be much more inclined to simply focus on the negative and complain. Uh, being thankful to God fuels our satisfaction in God and combats complaining. And so the first thing is uh, the tracing problem. Uh, maybe we're not taking enough time in our day to trace the good things back to God that we need to. We need to pray that God would help us to do that. Secondly, uh, there can be a merit problem. Um, if you look at verses 1 through 10, these verses are talking about, on the one hand, stumbling blocks, which are probably a reference to the Pharisees that are mentioned in the prior chapter, who loved money and um, would mislead people because of their poor example. And so the Lord talks a little bit about stumbling blocks, and then he talks about those who sin against you, and he says, if someone sins against you, and the implication is in a serious way that you need to deal with, then you are to rebuke them. But at the same time, you're to be ready to forgive them. And even if they come to you seven times a day because they've sinned against you and they ask for forgiveness, you are to forgive them. Now, the disciples respond by saying, increase our faith. And what does that mean? There's no way we can do this unless you help us. There's no way I can forgive that guy seven times in a day if he keeps doing things to offend me seven times in a day. And what if it's the same thing over and over and over again? I might doubt that he's really sincere in his repentance. But Jesus says, it's not for you to evaluate whether he's, whether he's sincere or not. He says, you forgive. And the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. How in the world can we do this? And then the Lord Jesus says, well, you know, it's really not how much faith you have. It's where your faith is. If you have just the faith of a mustard seed, you can seed, you can say this mulberry tree. And a mulberry tree was a tree that had a vast root system. And it could live for 600 years. So it was very hardy and sturdy and hard to uproot. And Jesus says, if you have just a little faith, you can uproot this mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. He's not saying that, that you should try to do those kinds of things. He's illustrating the fact that the issue really isn't um, how hard it might be. It's The issue is where are you looking for what you need to do that and are you and how you're looking at what you're called to do. Because then he talks about the idea of if you have a slave, uh, when he comes in from the field after a long day of working, um, and he's talking about people in general in that day and time, you would not tell that slave, come sit down and have a good meal. You would say, no, come fix my meal, and then you can eat. And he would say, typically, people do not thank their slaves for doing what they're told to do because they've simply done what they were told to do. So what is he really saying there? He's saying... Part of your problem in forgiving people is thinking that it would be something extraordinary to forgive someone when it's simply what you ought to do. You think you're going the extra mile. You think you're, you're, really, you're really doing something special if you forgive someone who sins against you seven times in a day. 
How many times in a day do you sin against God? And does He forgive you? Is there a moment in the day that you don't sin against God in some sense? That I don't sin against God in some sense? And God forgives us. The standard isn't what other people may or may not do. The standard is God. Uh, Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Over and over and over again, continually. And so the Lord Jesus says, be careful of thinking that the issue is I have to do something extraordinary to love this person. No, you just need to do something ordinary by the grace of an extraordinary God who loves you extraordinarily. And your focus has to be on the extraordinary love and forgiveness of God that that enables all of us to do what is extraordinary in terms of people and that is to love and forgive. Well, I say all that to say because he, he talks about um, being unworthy servants. And he doesn't mean that, that we have no value. He means that by doing good things, uh, we don't in any way indebt God to us. So that um, there's nothing we do or that anyone else uh, or anything that we do for anyone else that makes them in any sense, obligated to do for us what we think they ought to do. Because the reality is um, we don't deserve to be blessed. We don't deserve to be loved. Uh, So when I say things like the good things I enjoy must say something about me, another way to say that is we can have the idea that I deserve to be loved by God and man. And when we do that, we're failing to really understand what the Bible says about our sinfulness, which is the whole context of these first few verses. Um, For instance, there's a story about a a guy who was a relative of Andrew Carnegie, who was a multimillionaire. And Andrew Carnegie died and left this relative a million dollars. And that man cursed Andrew Carnegie because he gave $365 million to charities. He was ungrateful for what he received. He felt like he deserved more. That's the point. If we don't see our sin as we should, we will always feel like we deserve more from God. Um, no matter what he gives us, we always will feel like we deserve more. No matter what other people do for us, we will always feel like we deserve more. That's the nature of our sin. That's the nature of our pride. And we have to be careful of how um, pride undermines our gratitude toward God and for other people. And that's why grace and understanding grace is so important. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The more I think I deserve the love of others or the love of God, the less grateful I will be. They're just doing what they ought to be doing. God's just doing what he ought to be doing because of me. When, if I understand it's by grace, I don't deserve what other people do for me. I don't deserve what God does for me. Then I understand grace, that it's just by grace. And grace is what fuels our thanksgiving. There was a man and his family who celebrated Thanksgiving, and the daughter, after a really good year in business, this daughter said, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for, Dad. And the dad said, 
uh, snapping at his daughter, I've worked hard for all this. What was he saying? He was saying, we have what we have because I've worked so hard. It's because of me. Um, Those are two diametrically opposed attitudes, but it can be a very subtle thing. And we may not even realize that we're thinking that way. And so we have to pray that God would help us to see that. And that's why in your prayer time, another thing that's important is confessing your sins. Not because in some sense they haven't already been forgiven. It's because we need to rehearse our sins so that we can rest in fresh new ways in the, in the, right, in the uh, finished work of Jesus. So that we remind ourselves that we are forgiven and it's because of Christ. But secondly, so that we realize, we remember that I'm not, uh, I'm not in a position because of my sins to think that I deserve better from God or that I deserve better from other people. In Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? So what is he saying? He's saying, I have to be careful of complaining about other people and how they're not loving me, not complaining about God and how he's not loving me, at least in my own mind, especially in light of the fact that my sins don't deserve any good thing from God or from people. If I got what I deserved, it would be hell. And it would be rejection by people. And so uh, we have to understand that it's our pride... Also, not only a failure to connect things back to God and just let it revolve around us, but a a central part of that revolving around us is the idea that, well, I must deserve what I get, and I'm pretty upset when I don't get what I deserve, whether it's from God or for people, and then I complain, and therefore I don't have a thankful heart. The last thing, let me touch on briefly, is uh, reflected in the last verses of this chapter, in verses 20 through 37, in terms of uh, what uh, does uh, gratitude really look like. Um, He talks about the kingdom being present, talks about the kingdom of God as coming, and he talks about his coming, how it's going to be during a time like when uh, Noah and the flood came, and when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and he talks about people eating and drinking, buying and selling, kind of going about their business. And the implication is, because they were judged by God, is that they were enjoying all these good things and going about their business without any reference to God, without any thanks to God, without tracing anything back to God, just thinking that they deserve to eat and drink and to buy and sell to do all those things and to not want have want to have anything to do with God. And yet the Lord Jesus highlights the fact that a life of gratitude is really a life in which we lose our life for his sake. It says in verse thirty excuse me, um, yeah, thirty three, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now there's so much here in this chapter that I could touch on, but we don't have as much time this morning. But let me just kind of wrap this up. The Lord Jesus in the context is highlighting the fact that if you think about the issue of Thanksgiving, is it's not just what we say, it's what we do. Because ultimately, 
if we feel the weight of the fact that we don't deserve anything, and yet God is blessing us richly, then the weight of that ought to move me to live to please God. Ingratitude says, thank you, it's the least I can do, and I'm always looking for the least I can do, which is not true gratitude. It's very common for us to teach our kids, and we should teach our kids to say thank you. But we all know that it ought to be more than just saying thank you. And the Bible makes it very clear that we haven't truly expressed gratitude to God if we simply say thank you. We need to say thank you, I mean say thank you with our lips. We need to say thank you with our lives. R.C. Sproul again says God doesn't want us to just feel gratitude, but for us to show it by giving thanks to God with our lives. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. In fact, if you go back to the Heidelberg Catechism, um, the catechism there, which was written in 1563, um, says, um, asking the question, how does a Christian Uh, live and die blessedly or how does a Christian live and die happily and it answers that by saying the first is uh, that you need to know and believe how great I need to know and believe how great my sin and misery is the second how I am redeemed from all my sins and misery the third how I I am to be thankful to God for such redemption and someone who commented on that catechism said that the principal end or the design of our redemption is gratitude. And that's why in the Reformed tradition, uh, a lot of people will say things like, salvation is by grace, the Christian life is gratitude. Grace and gratitude. And so uh, we are guilty before God, but by grace we are saved through Christ and we're to live our lives in gratitude to God. And yet some people think that's just saying thank you but if you read what the um, reformers said about what it looks like to live that way you would see that they would talk about true christian thankfulness as acknowledging our gracious deliverance through christ but also as a sincere desire to avoid sin uh, to conform the life according to his will and then to receive all good things from god and that's why at the top of your notes i've defined Gratitude this way. Gratitude to God is the backward look of faith upon past gracious gifts given and divine promises kept that fuels our worship and strengthens our trust in God's promises for the future and our obedience to God's word in the present. So being truly thankful isn't just saying thank you, you, even though that's what we need to do. It's a backward look of faith. It's where I look back on what I've experienced and I see something. What do I see? I see the providence of God. I see the goodness of God. I see God keeping his promises. I see his gracious gifts where he's given, he's given me things I don't deserve, that, I'm, that it's not all about me and it's not because I was good enough to receive them. They're, they're graciously given to me. And as a result... It causes me to praise him and thank him from my heart. And it fuels my trust in him in the future. If he 
If he kept his promises in the past, then I can trust him to keep his promises in the future. And if he's such a good God that he would bless me when I don't deserve it and he would seek my good when I don't deserve it, then shouldn't I love a God like that? Shouldn't I live to please a God like that? Which is what we just sang about. Uh, How could I not love you in light of how you've loved me? That's why Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That faith includes gratitude to God in light of Christ loving and giving himself up for us. So let me just conclude with three questions. Do you and I trace all the good in our lives back to God? Or do we trace it to ourselves or maybe to others and come up short of tracing it back to God? Is that a habit that we have? Do we do it in our prayer times? Do we do it as we go through the day? Uh, Are we tracing it back to God? Secondly, do you believe you deserve the good you receive and don't deserve the bad? Which is very common for us as sinners to not think we deserve the bad, uh, but to think we deserve the good. Or do we recognize that everything we receive is a gift of grace? Everything. Your spouse, your children, uh, your enjoyment of a Thanksgiving meal, Everything is grace. And then finally, is your life is my life an expression of gratitude to God for his grace to us in light of our guilt? There, there is a function for confession. It reminds me that I deserve nothing, but that I am the recipient of grace over and over and over again. And is it my heart to love the God who's been so gracious to me and to live out my gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for the encouragement from your word. As we just briefly look at it this morning in light of this chapter, there's so much in this chapter. It's so rich. And I pray that you would help us to think about all that your word says about gratitude and the importance of it. I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen our faith, that we might be more grateful and that we might glorify you more in our hearts and through our lives. Uh, Please encourage us this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a believer and you're trusting Christ, please join us for this Lord's Supper. If not, we'd like to share with you how you can be.